Hey there, fans. Today we're going to bring you a very special interview with a friend of mine who lives all the way across the world in South Korea, Seoul, to be exact. He has been willing to join us to talk about his experience living in South Korea during the outbreak of the coronavirus and talk a little bit about what uh, that country's response has been because, as you may or may not have seen, uh, it's been pretty dang good. So he, he's going to talk to us a little bit about what makes them, what made their response so successful as compared to our American response. And he grew up here in America. Um, so he also knows what, uh, what our system is like. He spent a lot of time in it. So he's able to draw a really nice contrast, but he's also able to come at us from a different angle. David is also a sociolinguist. And so he actually studies not only culture, but the way language and culture interrelate. And I think that that is really relevant given how our government has responded or hasn't responded and how their government has responded. So, um, here's Andy and David. Hey, David. Uh, thank you, uh, for joining me from all the way on the other side of the world to talk to us about your experience with the coronavirus. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Um, so for starters, um, you live, you live in Seoul. What is it like there? Um, right now, Seoul is, it's, so we're we're several weeks ahead of you, um, and in but we've also been a lot more aggressive with testing and containment. So it's kind of shut down, but it's not quite shut down. Um, it's it's very voluntary. Um, there there have been except for the order to close schools, which is why I'm at home. Um, there haven't been explicit orders to like close bars and restaurants and stuff like that. Um, but people just don't go out. Like, they're just doing it on their own. Um, there's, that's, I mean, that's a cultural thing, right? Um, in Korea, there's a lot of social cohesion and social agreement. Um, so we don't necessarily need the same explicit orders for people to just mostly stay in their neighborhoods. So um, are you suggesting that there's not much social cohesion in the United States? Not in the same way that there is in Korea. No. Um, <laughs> um, it, I mean, it's collectivism versus individualism. Um, and there's benefits to both, and there's downsides to both. Um, and, you know, um, as a sociologist, I've, I've been very interested to observe how, in a crisis situation, um, collectivism is, ha- is, I think, better. Um, in times of peace and ease, I think that individualism can be better. Um, but in a, yeah, in a, in a crisis situation, this sort of just collective agreement to follow the, the, the agreed upon practices, it's, it's really useful. Kind of a Borg mentality almost. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it's more like ants. Um, if you you study ants, ants are cool. Ants are really interesting. Um, it's just cooperation. It's not like we all think the same. It's just that we cooperate, um, and it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's cool. It, I imagine it's an experience kind of similar to being on a sports team, where Maybe. especially a football team where you're running a play together. So everyone's yeah. doing, everyone knows what everyone's doing. Everyone, everyone is relying on 
the other people to do their part in order for it to work. Yeah, you know, that's a pretty good analogy. Um, another another aspect of it um, is a little bit hard to describe to an American audience, but it's, it's almost geographic. Um, Seoul is such a densely populated city, um, and you would think that that makes it really easy to spread. But at the same time, the way that the city is structured it's also really easy to stay in your community because every every street has everything you need. Like within within a minute and a half walking, I can get to the grocery store and half a dozen restaurants and hmm. uh, you know convenience store. Um, so there's no need to travel. Like even though I'm you know I'm, I'm when I say I'm quarantined, I mostly stay in my house, but, you know, I'll go out to get the things that I need. But I don't have to go far. Um, I don't have to get on the subway to, uh, to to get necessities. Nobody does. Wherever you are, you have your self-contained community. Um, and so, like, yeah, it, communities aren't really mixing. Like, everybody's just sort of staying in their own little area and not going to other areas. Um, and so that helps, actually. But it's not being mandated. Right. It's not being mandated. Um, That's exactly. the wild part. We were talking about it um, when we when we talked. You know, uh, we all were all here in Cleveland, and and I don't know if you've been paying much attention to any news about how Ohio and and the United States in general is handling handling it. I have been. I have been. Yeah. Well, Mike DeWine, the Ohio governor, just locked down the state pretty much. Yep. He closed bars and restaurants. Um, except for carry out, um, and delivery. It, I mean, it's, and it, and the funny thing is, you know, I've been out and it, it does look a little emptier than usual, but it really doesn't look that, like people are still out doing whatever they do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of the same here until you get on the subway and then it's like empty. Um, hmm. because there's no trans, like, like I said, like people are mostly going about their lives, just they're doing so just right in, your, in their neighborhood. Yeah. In their little, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So it just, it's, it's almost like everyone's still going about the same, about roughly the same amount of activity, but it's just a lot more localized. Right. Right. Which that flattens the curve. It does. It does flatten the curve. Um, has it worked? And, Yes, it's absolutely worked. Um, Korea has, I think Korea's had the best response in the world, um, to this. Um, we started testing aggressively and immediately. We test 10,000 people every day. The, yeah. They're really good about, you know, when, when somebody tests positive, then they immediately go and test all their contacts, um, isolating. Um, and you know, in Korea, everybody, every, it's, it's just Asian culture is everybody sort of wears masks anyway. Um, <laughs> partly because, partly because of the pollution. So, I mean, it's even before coronavirus, like masks are just a common thing for people to wear. Um, but, um, you know, I know that they're saying like, don't wear masks unless you're sick, but when everybody is always wearing masks, it, it does help. Um, and the government, the government provides masks for free um, at the post office, um, you know, one day a week, depending on on what your birthday is. Like, I, 86, I think I go on Mondays. 
Um, and I get a week's supply of masks from the post office. Um, wow. Yeah. And so every, and so like, you know, because the thing with this virus is you don't, they say wear a mask if you're sick. Well, but you don't know when you're sick. Um, right, for that's, several days. So that's if you're just wearing part, a mask yeah. all the time, then everybody is safer. Mm hmm. And, and some people never show any symptoms. Some right. people never find out that they're sick unless they were to test positive, which exactly. in Korea, that's a very probable thing that they would go and get tested anyway. But in America, I mean, there's, I don't know, it's, it's wild, but it's like, there's just not enough of something, of, of everything. And yeah. it, listen, we're, we can go down that, that healthcare discussion <laughs> path another time. But, um, but I think America has the, the workforce has the ability that if we had chosen to act when this whole thing started and start producing medical supplies and start um, making plans for, you know, if we'd yeah. taken this seriously from the get-go, America prob- maybe could have had the best response. And, and instead, pro- I, I think pretty pretty unequivocally the worst response. <laughs> yes. Oh, my um, God, it's embarrassing. Arguably, Italy... Italy, at least, they, yeah. But at least Italy tried, sort of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, the whole American, well, I cannot, I'm not going to say that that was the American response. It was the president's response, was to call it a hoax and dismiss it and laugh it off and say no big deal, downplay numbers. So here we are with a big problem on our hands. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, but you know, to an extent, I will, I will say that the reason Korea had a good response is not just because of the government, but because of Koreans and, and the social norms here about hygiene and cleanliness and taking things seriously immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, you well, know, uh, and that's kind like, of the point that, Sorry, I, 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 I wanted to kind of pick your brain about this as a, as a linguist. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not about what the governments have done necessarily. It's more about what they've said, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Move the people. Yeah. I agree. Well, but, but the, what the governments say is a reflection of what the people say. And this is what we have to sort of, um, come to terms with as Americans is that there are certain, there are certain sociolinguistic aspects of our discourse that encourages a sort of nonchalance that, that values, um, uh, you know, um, what devil may care attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that's reflected in the government. Um, and, and it's not, it is, it, it does g- come from the people, even the even the good people who take it, who wanted to take it seriously. But there's still Americans are wait until shit hits the fan to get serious. And in Korea, like you the, you walk in, you see a fan, and you're like, oh, somebody might shit in that fan. We better prepare for that. Um, uh, and America's just sort of like if, if, it, if it hits the fan, then we'll we'll do stuff. Then, 
you know, and and I think that that is often embedded in the language, in the idioms of our cultures. Um, in um, America, there's the idiom, um, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Which mm. means like, hey, you know, do your own thing and speak up or whatever. Um, in Korea, it's the peg that sticks out the farthest gets hit the hardest. Um, yeah. Right? Um, so there's, yeah, it, it, to right. talk linguistically, there, there's these um, opposing idioms that, that sort of paint the philosophies of our, our different cultures. And I think that um, that relates to how the countries have responded. That is, that's fascinating. I, I mean, it's, Plain as day, right there. Um, wow. And that's been now. I know. I don't. I know a lot about what our president here has said about the virus. What has the What has the South Korean government had to say? They haven't had to say much because just the moment that it popped up, uh, everyone uh, was on the same page. Yeah. Well, so we we built we put in a bunch of systems. Um, after the last one, was it SARS or MERS? I forget which the last one was, but in like 2015. Mini fact check. I wanted to get in on this episode too. An outbreak of Middle East Respiratory System Coronavirus occurred in South Korea from May 2015 to July 2015. The virus, which causes Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, also known as MERS, was a newly emerged beta coronavirus that was first identified in a patient from Saudi Arabia in April 2012. From the outbreak, a total of 186 cases had been infected, with a death toll of 36. South Korea reported its first MERS case on 20 May 2015. A 68-year-old man returning from the Middle East was diagnosed with MERS nine days after he initially sought medical help. All right, well, I guess that's my part. This is really good, though, right? Bye. Mini fact check. Yeah. Um, and the the government set up a bunch of uh, systems, uh, response systems, and left them there. Trump <laughs> yeah. uh, mantled them. Um, but so just as soon as it happens, just those systems just kicked into place, and it just, boom, it just went. Um so yeah, no, it hasn't. We haven't had to say a lot. We did have to quarantine the city of Daegu after some cult started spreading it. Um, that was the that was the the only mandated like seriously mandated quarantine was like nobody goes in or out of Daegu. Um, that whole city was locked down because some stupid lady did some stupid stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's how the the it really started to spread here. Is some lady was sick. Uh, she was in a cult, um, and even though some doctor had said, uh, hey, I think you have symptoms of this thing, you should get tested, she spent the next, like, week going around to, like, buffets and coughing on people and got everybody in her cult sick, um, and it just exploded in Daegu, and so they had to, the, the government was like, okay, Daegu's locked, um... But besides that one incident, it's just mostly gone smoothly. Wow. You know, I, I, I've i been listening to a lot of varied re- reports about things, and, and one of the most consistent things I've heard from every reporter 
I usually stick with pretty centrist type publications. So a lot of NPR, Economist, uh, New York Times is pushing it a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and they all say just that if just competence would have saved America, we would, we would be fine if, if we just sort of had still had the proper procedures in place and had just dealt with the virus in a serious manner, we wouldn't have to be overreacting now, not overreacting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear what you're saying, but I think the, that, that's only, that's like saying if, well, if, if we had done everything right, then we would have done everything right. I think well, the question that America needs to really deal with is why was there incompetence? Yes, there was incompetence. Yes, Trump is part of that. But why does the social network of American society uh, produce incompetence? And I think that that's a question... Because, like, you're talking, and there, those news articles, to me, they're talking about the symptom. I mean, the social, the symptom of the social disease, right? But I think America needs to really reflect on itself right now and look at its, its cultural values and ask itself why collectively incompetence is fostered. Yeah. Uh, when this is, when the dust settles a bit, I think, um, I think we deserve a little bit of time out. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love America. Done. I might be sounding quite anti-American right now, but no, I, I think... at this point, Go ahead. I'm dual. At this point, I'm dual culture. Um, I will never be. I will never be fully Korean, but I will never be American again completely either. Um, I I have changed in my own culture, and so I have aspects of both, and I appreciate the strengths of both. Um, but I can be a little bit sociologically critical of America these days. Um, now, there's great things that the society produces, um, and there's, there's, I mean, I, I, can, I can balance out my criticisms if, you know, the ego of America needs to hear me give praises, but um, at this time, like, I just want to say America needs to self-reflect, because some of the values, some, some, of, some American values are wrong. Some of them yeah. just aren't working, and you, well, it, it's hard to look at your values and be like, "Wait, maybe I'm valuing the wrong thing." But um, you know, I mean, Korea has to do the same in other respects. Just it, we've worked well in this case. I can on Korea in other aspects also. <laughs> um, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not favoritizing one country. Um, just within mm-hmm. the context of this outbreak, um, I think it shows which Korean values are good and which American values are not. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with you. And I think, um, I think there's no bad time to evaluate values um, and make sure that you're, you're on, you know, heading, heading in the way that you want to be heading. I think that a big part of America's troubles does come from a value shift, but I think that there's other stuff at play too, uh, including money and, and power shifting hands, uh, over the last 30, 40 years. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah, that's, a, that's kind of a, another conversation, but, but I think it's important because 
of the culture it produces. And, you know, which I think is kind of your point here. Well, almost the, the opposite is that I would say it's the culture that produced those shifts in money and power. Well, I, I, so I don't know. I guess I would probably have to disagree with you in, on, just on the grounds that I think a lot of those, a lot of the money and power shifts happened behind a screen. They did, um, but so, but uh, the, the but but there's certainly a a, there. a a push and pull in both directions, regardless. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, it's hard to separate them. Yeah, and and that's why I was very hesitant to even disagree because yeah, I'm 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 arguing over whether it's seventy thirty this way or seventy thirty that way. But the point is, right. it's a dual issue. Yeah, agreed, agreed. At any rate. Um, what has the, what's been going on? What has the, what has Korea done throughout the process to help make sure that everyone is on the same page, knows what to do, um, making sure that people are following through with what they need to do and things like that? Well, it doesn't really, you don't really have to make sure people follow through here. Everybody, did, like I said, it's ants. Um, we work together. But, um, no, uh, the government has, you know, like I said, they, they're, um, making the tests completely available to everybody. Um, it's, um, you know, they're making masks available. They're just, um, telling people, you know, we get alerts on our phone, um, every time a new cluster is discovered that says where that cluster was. So to avoid that area, like, you know, we'll get a little message like, oh, somebody just tested positive in Dongdaemun. Don't go to Dongdaemun right now. Um, and, you know, so that we, we get that, that information on our phone. Um, and yeah, the government provides supplies. Um, our healthcare system is, is really set up in a way that, like, so, you know, I understand also, and this isn't a cultural criticism of, of America. It's, it is the healthcare system. Um, we don't have to be afraid to go get a test wondering how much it's going to cost. Um, yeah. like even, even in normal time, now they've made all the, uh, everything is free. If you, even, if you get tested for, um, if you contract COVID-19, um, the government pays for all of your treatment. Um, but even in normal times, even in normal times to go to the doctor is like, you know, a $5 expense. So, um, we just have a healthcare system that doesn't make people scared to use it. Whereas, like, you know, in America, like, I mm-hmm. I still have sometimes PTSD from the American health system where I have to remind myself, like, no, no, I don't have to be afraid of going to the doctor. It's not going to, like, cost my life's savings. Um, whereas in America, it's just like, you only go to the doctor if it's really serious. Yeah. Because you don't go for little things because you don't want to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, just the healthcare system here I think is very accessible um, and and people are very comfortable interacting with it and that helps. But that, that, I bet that does. I, I I was really struck when you know you're just like we don't have to follow through with follow up with people. What do you like as an American in America <laughs> that was not that's not an answer. That's not <laughs> What are you talking about? No, you do not just tell someone to do it and then assume that they did it. That's no, like no, I agree. You do. Number one, you no, you follow <laughs> up. So, like, just that 
that contrast really punched me in the face there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you for taking some time out to share, kind of give a little window to our listeners to, to what, how things are going down in, in a co- competent country. Well, yeah. semi-competent, yeah, no at least. I, I feel like I have this unique perspective as an American and a Korean resident. Um, and it's, you know, I've wanted to get my view out there, but it's hard to find a platform sometimes. Um, so thank you for giving me one to, to, you know, share my perspective, which I think is unique and I hope is valuable. Um, yeah, you know, maybe there's a, there's a whole longer interview about that uh, in store. Um, you know, what it's like to, to move and, and go live in a different country. Yeah, um, we can I think there's a lot of Americans who've been thinking about that for about uh, four years now. Yeah, we can talk about that sometime. <laughs> That'd be great. Cool, man. All right. Um, well, thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you too. I'm to definitely going to listen to your podcast. Um, like, although I'm going to find it and listen to everything you've made, and I look forward to, to seeing you do well with this. Great, thank you. Sweet. Andy forgot to record an outro, so I get to jump in one last time and say one big last thank you to new friend of the podcast, David. Also, thanks for Andy, who really knocked it out of the park with this one. If you like this, please share it with a friend, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast thingy, And if you could leave us a review somewhere, especially iTunes, that would be great. We're looking to grow and try new things, and we can't do that without your help. Anyway, for Andy, I think he says something about coming to learn something new. For Pat, love you, bye. And for me, Nathan, the most important one, I really need to come up with a catchphrase. See you guys later. Bye. listen to a lot of podcasts and I, you know, I sit around imagining like, how must this work on their end? So, um, yeah, I need to, I need to download yours. I, I love the title that you came up with, by the way, beating a dead source. That's awesome.